Thanks, Jenny. Good. Well, as Jenny just said, my name is Owen. If we haven't met before, I just want to add my welcome to that of Jenny's earlier. It's great to have you with us, whether you're a foundation regular or whether you are just visiting today. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. You've joined us if you are visiting in the second week of a series that we've just begun working through the New Testament book of Hebrews. Uh, And so we're going to be carrying on in that today in chapter one. We did just the first four verses last week. Uh, We're going to pick up the pace ever so slightly today, and we're going to go from verse 4 again, but then through to verse 14. So if you do have a Bible, I'd encourage you to get it out and open it up. Uh, If you don't have one and you'd like one, there are some on the table just at the back. You're very welcome to go grab one, uh, and you can take that home with you as a gift from us. Uh, And failing that, the words will be on the screen as well as we go through. So last week, we we worked through the first four verses of this first chapter of the book of Hebrews. And as we did, we talked about the, the big picture of Jesus that this book begins with, lifting our eyes to Jesus Christ in his glory, his power. And particularly, we talked about the fact that Jesus, as expressed here, is the better word Jesus is the victorious king of heaven who created all things. He's the ultimate priest who has made sacrifice for our sins that we could be brought into living relationship with God. And the last verse that we read last week as we are kind of lifting our eyes to Jesus and fixing our eyes on him was this from verse 4. It said, Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And it's a funny way of expressing simply that Jesus is better than angels. Okay? That's what the book was getting at. Jesus is better than angels. And then he's going to spend verses 5 through 14, which we're going to look at together today, unpacking why and how Jesus is better than angels. And so we're going to read the passage together first, uh, and then we'll dig into it and see what it means and how it applies to us today. So we'll read from verse 4, right through to 14. So having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will to him be a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And... You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. 
they will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same. All your years have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? I'm going to pray and then we're going to dig into this together. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us, as Jenny's already said, to understand it today and to apply it. Lord, we thank you that every word was breathed out by your spirit and is useful for training us in righteousness, for revealing your glory and your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that we would see you as you would want to reveal yourself to us today and that we would respond to you. For your glory, Jesus. Amen. Good. Well, these are some slightly weird verses. And it's okay for us to read them and go, what's the big deal with angels? <laughs> like, why all this talk about angels? Why contrast Jesus with angels? Like, what's going on? And actually, it would be a reasonable question to ask because the first audience of this letter clearly had something of a thing about angels, a bit of a fixation. Angels were a big deal for them. This isn't the only time in the letter to the Hebrews that angels are going to come up. And it wasn't isolated to them. We find in other New Testament writings teaching about angels, helping people to think rightly about angels and their proper place. And maybe you've never really thought much about angels. Like maybe for you, you're, as much as you've ever really thought about it or paid attention to the idea of angels is nativity at Christmas. And, and some of the children, or AJ, as we had this last Christmas, stick on a white gown and some wings and a halo and, and we do the nativity play and, and you kind of go, oh yeah, angels, tick. And like that's it for the rest of the year. Or maybe it's slightly deeper than that and as you've read the Bible, you've read different accounts of angels intervening and helping God's people in situations. Or maybe you've read in Revelation that angels gathered around the throne of God worshipping. Maybe you've not really ever given them much thought. Or maybe you're quite into angels. Like these people were. Maybe even a bit obsessed, like the first readers of this book were. Or maybe you're just a bit confused. You're like, I don't really know what the deal is with angels. Like they, they sang a song to the shepherds about glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and whom his favor rests. And that's kind of about the extent of... You're like, I don't really know what the deal is. They seem strange to me. Well, I hope these verses are going to help us. Wherever you are on that spectrum of kind of no interest or awareness to mild fascination to completely angel-obsessed, I hope that these verses will be helpful. And it's important, actually, whether you think it or not, for us to get this right just as much as it was for them to get it right, because there are plenty 
of non-biblical views out there when it comes to the subject of angels. Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, believe that Jesus is an angel, the archangel Michael. And so, actually, the verses we're going to read through today, where Jesus is contrasted with angels and shown emphatically not to be an angel, well, it's helpful if you're going to speak to people about that. Jesus is contrasted in these verses that we've just read with angels. And the contrast is made so that we get a right perspective both of him and of them. And to make the contrast, the writer of the Hebrews quotes seven times in just five verses, or seven times, sorry, between verse 5 and 14. My maths isn't good, however many verses that is. Nine verses. Thanks, Pete. He quotes seven times in these verses between 5 and 14 from the Old Testament in order to make his point about Jesus and angels. He's eager to make it as clear as he can in these verses. Christ is the true fulfillment of the ancient faith of Israel. And we, we got some of that last week didn't we? Where he began by saying, through the history, God has spoken at many times in many ways to different people. But now, in these last days, he's spoken through his son, Jesus, the the definitive word. This is a continuation of that point and that argument. He's keen that we understand that The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has brought about rescue through Christ and Christ alone, who is far better than angels. And the point we start with in knowing that Jesus Christ is better than angels is that the name he has inherited is better than theirs. And so then, that's what we read, isn't it? having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus has a better name. But what is that name? Well, we find out very quickly from verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. The name is son. (laughs) Son of God. And this picture that we've got here is a coronation scene. We've just had a coronation, haven't we? All the pomp and ceremony. Well, the the picture we have here is a coronation scene. We just read in verse 3 about the son being seated on the throne at the right hand of the father. The place of authority. He's seated. And these words, you are my son... Today I have begotten you, are from Psalm 2, verse 7. And then the next, I will be to him a father, and he shall be my son, or to me a son. 2 Samuel 7, 14. And these, these phrases are from coronation scenes in the Old Testament. Those words, you are my son, today I have begotten you, would have been spoken over the king of Israel as he was crowned. So, See the parallel? So the kings of Israel, in their history, as they were crowned, as they were seated on the throne, 
the crown would be put on their head and one of the prophets would speak over them the words of God, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And now we have Jesus, the true king, seated in majesty at the right hand of the Father in heaven, ruling and reigning. He is the true king. See, those words were spoken over the kings in Israel's history at their coronation as a way of kind of accrediting their position as, as God's true anointed king for the people at that time. That they were God's anointed to rule over God's people. And Jesus is now crowned the true king in David's line. He, he didn't actually acquire the name son at his coronation. That's not what's meant by these verses. He was always the son, the eternal son of the father. But this declaration is given as he is crowned the victorious son the conquering, sin-crushing, death-defeating son who has won victory for his people and now lives forever to reign at the right hand of the Father in heaven, the true eternal king that all of the other kings were pointing forward to. They ruled in some measure over God's people. He will rule perfectly for all eternity. And that has never ever been true and will never be true of an angel or anyone else for that matter. And so point one, as the writer of the Hebrews wants to draw this contrast, he's saying none of the angels are crowned king of heaven, the eternal ruling son at the right hand of the father. And then he carries on from verse six with his argument. He says again, he quotes again from the Old Testament, this time from Deuteronomy verse 43. And he says, let all God's angels worship him. He says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, the, when he brings his firstborn into the world, there's some debate about when that is. So some people say, like, that's when Christ came as a man, as a baby. And others say it's when he'll come again in glory to wrap up all things, the new heavens and the new earth. And, and I think there's some merit in discussing that, but at the end of the day, I, I don't think it matters for the point that the writer to the Hebrews was trying to make, because either way, the point is this, the writer quotes from the Old Testament again to show that angels are not just not like the Son. They're not just not ruling on the throne like he is. Actually, angels worship the Son. Angels worship Jesus Christ. Now, this is huge. Like, to grasp how important this would have been for the first readers, they were good Jews. They knew that there is one God alone. And they were to worship one God alone. They were to worship no one else. They, they knew the Mosaic law. They knew the commandments. You should have no other gods before me. No one else should be worshipped 
And yet here, the angels in heaven are worshipping Christ, the Son. What does that mean? Well, I mean, firstly, it's a bold proclamation that the Son is most certainly not an angel. He's God. That's what it means. Jesus Christ is God. And he is worshipped as such by the angels and by us. This is the key difference between Christianity and any other religion. We worship Christ Jesus. We don't see him as a prophet or a good teacher. He's not merely one of those things, and he is not merely an angel either. No, we worship him as God. And bluntly, if you don't, then you're not a Christian, because that is what it means to be in Christ. The writer continues to make the contrast and build his point. From verse 7, we read this. It says, Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. He quotes Psalm 104, verse 4, to, to speak about the angels, to, to give us a picture of the angels as servants, as those who do the bidding of God. They're sent to serve, to minister. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever. This is as clear as it could be. Jesus is God. It's, it's black and white. Of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is a quote from Psalm 45. Verses 6 to 7, and the writer to the Hebrews is inspired by the Spirit to see that this was about Jesus. We, sometimes we read kind of quotes from the Old Testament in the New Testament, and you think, like, oh, I, didn't, like, I hadn't read it like that when I read it back there. <laughs> and there are times when, when we read and we see that the writers of the New Testament were inspired by the Spirit to see what we haven't seen, what we might miss in the Old Testament where Christ Jesus is mentioned. And this is one of those places he was inspired by the Spirit to see that this was about Jesus, the Messiah who rules with justice. He carries on. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. See, this is where it gets interesting. <laughs> Because we've just read, to the Son, he says, that he's God. And then we read on, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. So who's, like, who's God, who's anointing who, who's, is the Son God, or is there, what's going on here? The Son is God. <laughs> And it is God who calls him such. This is the Trinity at work in Scripture. 
So we believe as Christians that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's not straightforward for us to get our minds around. But actually, it's, it's plain in Scripture as we read. This is one of those verses where we have a picture of two persons of the Trinity in view. The Father and the Son, both equal, both equally God. And yet, two distinct persons in the Godhead. The Son is God, and it is God who calls him such. The writer goes on, layering this up for us, expanding on the ways in which Jesus is superior to the angels. We read from verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they'll be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The writer quotes again from the Old Testament, this time from Psalm 102, verse 25 to 27. And as he does so, he does it to state that Jesus Christ, the true Son, is the eternal creator. He was before all, he created all, and he will be here after all of this is gone. Amazing. But that is not true and could not be said of angels. The angels are created beings, created by God. There's more. We read from verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Finally, the writer cites Psalm 110, verse 1, to show that the Son, Christ the Lord, is ruling at the right hand of the Father, seated on the throne, and the angels are servants, doing as he instructs. Jesus is so much greater than angels. He's so much greater. I mean, look at the contrast that we've read through these verses. Angels are created. He is creator. Angels worship him. <laughs> and he is worshipped by them. He receives that. He doesn't turn that away because it's right and appropriate that he receives that worship. Angels are messengers. They have no inherent authority of their own, only that of the one who sent them. Jesus has all authority, and he sends them to serve. He is sovereign, seated on the throne. The angels are servants sent to minister to Christians, to subdue the enemies of God. See, we can thank God for angels. I don't know if you notice some of the things they do in there. The two main things. Angels worship Jesus, and they serve God by ministering to his people. Did you notice that? Read. They're not ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Like Christians. Angels are sent by God to serve you if you're a Christian. We can thank God for angels. But we don't worship them. 
the first readers had got themselves really messed up because they were focused too much on angels. Part of their temptation to return to the old covenant was that it was mediated by angels. And they were really impressed with angels. Did you look, look through the Old Testament? Angels are significant. They're important in Scripture. They're used by God. In the history of God's people, angels had been sent by God to serve his people in some amazing ways. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll have read some of these things, right? They were present in great military victories. There were times when God's people went out against their enemies. They became aware of the the presence of armies of angels who were there with them to protect them, to secure victory for them. Angels were involved in the exodus, seeing the people of God released from slavery in Egypt. And as we alluded to a moment ago, angels played a key part in communicating the law of Moses, the old covenant to God's people. So these first century Jewish Christians, they were in awe to a certain extent of angels. They were in awe of the role that angels had played in God's redemptive plan or God's rescue plan for his people because they'd seen angels playing a part in that, helping them in military victories, freeing them from slavery in Egypt or having a part in that, helping be part of delivering God's law to them. And since the new covenant in Christ was not mediated by angels but by Jesus, they were tempted to question the validity and import of it because Angels are impressive. So they're like that one, like angels, but like this one, Jesus. And so the writer to the Hebrews wants to say to them, guys, Jesus is so much better than angels. And the new covenant that he has sealed in his blood shed at the cross is so much better than the old covenant, which was mediated by angels. Don't go back there, he wants to say to them. And I want to say to you, what we have in Christ is so much better. There's only one King Jesus, there are many angels. And according to this passage, God created angels to do two things we already said, serve God, serve you and worship God. See, there's help out there, we can be encouraged. Angels have been sent, actually, to serve and protect you. It's interesting, isn't it? you're aware of that you don't want to overstate it or make a big deal of it but i i believe actually that the bible would teach us that there are angels with us now i i believe that serving you actually helping you to hear the word i'm confident of that fact but we don't worship them and we don't want to get distracted by them. That would be to miss the point. See, there are still people in the church today who get distracted by angels. And people who end up being led astray into all kinds of bad teaching because it seems impressive or spiritual. See, their danger in the first century was, was to revert back to the, the old covenant because cause angels. <laughs> that probably isn't your danger, but maybe there are other things. People can get 
at times in a mess because something seems impressive or spiritual or dramatic, so they chase after it. You know, some people get in a real mess asking, I've spoken to some people who've been in this kind of mess, asking angels to appear to them and speak to them. Like trying to dialogue with angels. It doesn't happen in that, like, you don't ask angels to appear to you <laughs> in that way. People end up being led astray into all kinds of stuff. It's not biblical, it's how cults and pseudo Christian sects get started. Angels are servants sent by God to help us, but we don't command them around. We don't summon them or speak to them or ask them to do things for us. We pray to him. In Colossians 2.18, we find a warning actually from Paul to the church there specifically about this kind of behavior. The worship of angels or that word could also be rendered like petitioning or invoking angels, prayer to angels. We find warnings elsewhere in the New Testament about being fixated on or distracted by angels. And people can think, oh, an, an angel told me. And angels are good, so it must be, must be right. Well, in 2 Corinthians 11, we read this, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Just because just you think an angel told you it. If it doesn't line up with God's word, if it doesn't line up with scripture, then you're being deceived. As we read last week, Christ Jesus is the definitive revelation of the Father. We're not going to get another one from angels or from anyone else. Okay? See, for you, it might not be because of angels. It could be any number of things. It might be impressive music and lights, great atmosphere, Impressive displays of power. But you'd be crazy to leave behind the gospel of Christ Jesus as revealed in scripture for something that seems more impressive or spiritual. Because there's no one better than him. And nothing more liberating than the freedom we find in him, his finished work. And so we open his word. And we hold fast to the gospel of Christ. Doesn't matter how spiritual or impressive it seems. You know, Mormonism started with a quote unquote angelic visitation. But there's one name by which men might be saved it's Christ Jesus. This was a problem in the early church. There were people preaching false messages then, there were people chasing things then that seemed dramatic or spiritual. Clearly they had a, a deal with angels. In Galatians 1, 28, Paul writing to the church there in what's now modern day Turkey said this, said, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who want to trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, which is the good news of Jesus, let him be accursed. He's warning. He's warning that this would happen. 
and that we're to be on our guard, to hold fast to what we have in his word. We can fall into the trap of believing or thinking that something seems more spiritual or feels more mystical, that then it's somehow better. But the Bible is clear, not so. Jesus and the word he proclaimed is infinitely better than the angels and anything they could ever say. So we don't overlook angels. We give thanks to God that he sent them concerning you. But we don't obsess over angels. They're never to take our focus. We worship Jesus. See, what these verses should ultimately do is leave us in awe and wonder of, of one, of Christ. See, who else did God ever say to, you're my son, in that way? Who else do the angels in heaven worship? Who else is enthroned forever and ever and ever? Who else laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning and will roll them up like a garment to the end of time? No one else. Jesus is better than angels. He's better than anyone or anything else you could possibly look to. He's worthy of our worship. The angels worship him. We have the privilege of joining with them. I want to just ask you to consider. Do you have an appropriate sense of awe and wonder when it comes to Jesus? If we see him for who he is, it should leave us just breathless in awe. In awe at his wonder and glory that he would come to make a way for us to be saved, for us to be brought into right relationship with God, for us to be joined with him, co-heirs. <laughs> should leave us in awe. I wonder sometimes that we might have too small a view of him. I wonder. Do you have an appropriate sense of awe and wonder? Do you honor his name? I want to pray for us now. We're going to come back to worship and share communion in a moment. But I, I want us to come to a point again together of lifting our eyes to him. Seeing him for who he is. The one worthy of worship and adoration. The true king of heaven. The creator and sustainer of all things. Oh, Jesus, we just look to you again now. 
Lord, I'm sorry for times when I can just diminish in my thinking and in my view. Just in, in the day-to-day, I can so easily get distracted by other things. I, I can, in, in your love and your grace and your compassion towards me, I can, I can become very familiar. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you do welcome us. That, that there is an appropriate way in which we might be familiar with you. <laughs> that actually you delight to call us your sons, co-heirs with Christ Jesus. That you welcome us to come on those terms. But Lord, I pray that we would never lose the wonder and awe. <laughs> Just how breathtaking you are the one who was and is and is to come, the one who created and sustains all things, the true eternal king of heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling now. Oh, Lord, actually angels are impressive. (laughs) Like I get why the first century Jewish Christians would get distracted by how impressive angels are when we read some of the descriptions in your word of them. And yet, Lord, you are so much better than angels. (laughs) Lord, I pray that you would lift our eyes again to you now, that you'd reveal yourself again to us now in this moment, that you'd help us to see again your beauty, your glory, your majesty, your worth, Jesus, we willingly join with the angels in worshipping you. We say, Lord, (laughs) we don't want to give our worship to anyone or anything else. That you and you alone are worthy.